This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. Everybody, welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast, Season 8, Episode 10. I'm John DiCarlo. With me again are Kyle Gauss, Javon Edmonds, and Caden Steele. What's going on, guys? Same old, same old. Same doo-doo, different toilet. Wednesday. Weather makes me less happy. Yes. It's going to be sunny tomorrow. Caden, do you have anything anything positive or uplifting, uplifting to say, I should say? It's tough to be you know, uplifting, especially at this point in the semester. I feel like I have a thousand things going on once, and then the rain falling the last two days has kind of made it tougher. I guess a positive could be, you know, I'm a big, you know, fan of like Halloween season so I guess you know that coming you know around in Philadelphia I guess you know there's maybe more things to do so that'll Jayden, be fun the do fact you that you you categorize things you know based upon semesters I just want to let you know it doesn't get better <laughs> real life takes over and then I don't you don't have these 15 week breaks of your life there are no study days Caden there are no, no you just realize days. that life is just a slow march towards death and here we are. <laughs> okay. Hey, 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 Kyle, listen, it's gloomy outside, but, but you know, let's, let's not get too sad. But yes, Wait. spooky season is here. But King, do you, do you still dress up for Halloween? No, I don't. I haven't gone up for Halloween probably since like elementary school. I wasn't one of those kids that, you know, went out when they're in middle school or high school just to steal candy. I don't blame people for doing that because, like, look, I like candy, but I've never, I don't think I've dressed up as like fourth or fifth grade, honestly. I don't blame people for doing that because I like candy. I wish we should just cut that clip up. The ends justify the means. My uh, son and daughter will be buzzing Woody this year. Oh, should be fun. Oh, well, again, slow March. (laughs) Slow March for that. (laughs) Shifting gears to some positive stuff. I don't know. Famous number 10s, guys. Season eight, episode 10. Famous number 10s. Colby in the Olympics. Chipper Jones. Lionel Messi. Sean Jackson. We've got a we've got a baseball uh mailbag question. Adam so Jones. Bo Cheeks. Tariq Hill. Had Egan told me he would disown me if, if I didn't mention at least somebody from the NHL. So I'd said John LeClaire. There we go. And um about the only hockey I'm gonna talk no, to. No, there's a more famous number 10 from the NHL. Uh, Tom Brady at Michigan. Oh. Tom Brady. Probably, probably, probably talking to a divorce lawyer right now. Yeah. What was that kid? Troy Smith in college, Ohio State. Yeah. That feels right. Coy Detmer. Coy Detmer wore number 10 with the Eagles. Did Ty? Ty was number 14, I believe. Okay. Most positive Ty was number 14. Mac Collins for you know a couple of teams. I think the Mac Collins is having a resurgence, blows my mind. Yes. Yes. Um, Javon, I'm gonna give you clues. We're going to go basketball player, Hall of Famer, uh, the Kansas City Kings. Oscar Robertson did not wear number 10, or did he? Then he went to the Nets, Celtics, Bucks. Had a great nickname. Nets, Celtics, Bucks. Tiny Archibald. Nate Archibald. Tiny Archibald. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. It's good. It was a good list. A good list. We've got – it's a bye week. For this Temple football program, that's uh, two and three now after five games. But uh, we'll talk about this. Uh, we'll talk about the twenty-four-three loss at Memphis. We've got plenty of basketball to talk now with the season coming up. There was media availability yesterday. We've got some some audio from Damian Don, who is very high on this team, and uh, we've got a couple of mailbag questions uh, to get to. But uh, let's talk about these these Temple Owls again. By week, they will play again next Thursday at. UCF, which will certainly be a challenge for them. First half, promising. The defense is playing about as well as it can play right now. Second half, different story. They got worn down. Uh, offense just couldn't go any could, – excuse me, could not get anything going. Uh, the running game hasn't gotten going. The DeJuan Mathis experiment at, at wide receiver really kind of cost them on Saturday in a couple of plays in a row. Uh, Rich Rodriguez was back at center. Jose Barbone got involved in the passing game again. Uh, EJ Warner threw three uh, three interceptions all in the fourth quarter. I think the first one 
good read. I think the second and third ones, he's just basically trying to make things happen down the stretch there. General takeaways from the game, guys. Kyle, I'll start with you. Temple is very bad at running the ball. Yeah. Like, like historically bad. They had zero rushing first downs. Yeah. Uh, the first, you have to go back all the way to 2006 when, like, Temple was just getting stomped by Penn State 50 to nothing every year to mm-hmm. uh, see that. that. Um, the last time it happened, yeah, 2006 lost to Penn State. They're on pace for their worst rushing season since 2006, where they were throwing out 255 pound freshman offensive linemen. How cold was um, the season? Yeah. Even last year, when, like, I think objectively you would say it was an anemic rushing offense, they're rushing for 35 yards more a game than this current Temple team. Mm-hmm. Um, the most staggering stat to me, which is, I think, a direct correlation to the fact they can't run the ball is they've lost the time of possession battle in six straight games and 13 of the last 17 games. There has yet to be a Stan Drayton game where Temple won the time of possession. Like, that's not winning formula. That's even not against, winning football. Even against uh, Lafayette and UMass. Yes. That's just not – like, that's not winning football. Like, when you look at, like, the formula, like, a winning – like, one of the things I think uh, football scoop puts out is, like, winning box scores where, like, if you do these things, odds are you're going to win this game. Losing the time of possession battle is usually one of the things that goes against you. So uh, even when they were up 3 nothing at halftime, it really felt like if they don't get things going early in the third quarter, this is just going to slip away from them. And I think you saw that. Like They did a good job of getting pressure on Hennigan. They did a, a pretty good job of moving the ball until they got into the red zone. And then in the second half, it just completely fell apart. That's 80, 83.8 yards per game rushing. That's dead last in the, in the conference by a, a wide margin. I did not check where that is nationally. It's got to be down close it to last. It is nationally, their rushing yards per game is 126 out of 131. Yeah, so pretty bad. Uh, defensively, the numbers are better. They're second in passing defense. They're allowing just 149 yards per game. Third in scoring defense in the, uh, second in the conference, I should say, in passing defense. Third in, in scoring defense. Uh, they're allowing just 16.8 points per game. But again, 10th in scoring offense, averaging 15 points per game. They're only ahead of, uh, of Navy there. Um, they, they've only allowed four sacks, which is probably a product of, of EJ Warner getting rid of the ball early. Uh, we know the offensive line has had issues. Uh, they have 20 sacks. They've already surpassed, you know, I think that if you watch the game on Saturday, that was talked about a lot. They've already surpassed last season's sack total. Uh, they're only second to Cincinnati's 23. Um, but, yeah, I think <laughs> Saturday was kind of a, a, an indication of a lot of things that we had talked about. It's not the best Memphis team that Temple has faced in a while. They were absolutely beatable, beatable, excuse me. Um, and Temple had opportunities and just couldn't, take advantage of them. Uh, Javon, Caden, anything you guys want to chime in on here? I feel like it'd just be a repeat of what we've been saying for the past five weeks. Like, literally, nothing can get going without the offensive line. It's the same thing every week. Caden can feel free to try to muster up some words, but I've got nothing for you. What's wrong, buddy? I I know everything you said was right. I just feel like you're you're down today. No, I'm not down today at all. It's just like that question right there was the only thing that just got a negative reaction out of me today. Like there's just nothing else to muster up about the team. The defense Mm -hmm. is good. The offense can't do anything because they just don't have the most important unit in the history of football. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's not much else that I can you know, add on to it. If you know you can't pass protect, if you can't run the ball, the offense is never going to work. And I think you know EJ Warner struggled you know on Saturday, but how much can we really assess and put the blame on him when nothing is working well? I don't think he's good enough to the point where he can overcome all these you know you know areas that where Temple is struggling. So I think it's going to be a rough season if you know Danny Langsdorf and. Chris Wiesenhan, if they can't figure out, you know, some of these units and get the wrong game going, get the offensive line going, because if they can't, it's going to be hard to score points and win games. I don't want to let the backs, like, completely off the hook here. Like, they're not right. – it's not like they're – it's not like oh, they're yes. playing well and the offensive line is just, like, screwing it up. Like, Jakari Norwood and Darvon Hubbard got blown up in pass protection. Like, they got yeah. killed against Memphis. Yeah, they played yeah. really poorly in that aspect of the game. So, mm-hmm. like, it'd be one thing if it was, like, Barkley with the Giants the last couple of years where you're like, okay, like, he's just trying to make a lot happen. This line's so bad and blah, blah, blah. There are times when, like, the running backs also look bad. Yeah. So, like, I think that's – and even, like, the Quincy Patterson experience. Like, in, in fairness, they kind of pulled away from that. They only played, you know, three, four snaps with that against Memphis. But, like, that's gotten so predictable that, like, you probably got to go away from that if you're not going to ever let him throw the ball. Yeah, so I, I, I think – 
I think the only other thing I'd add is just like now the concern for EJ really starts to ramp up. Because I said if you keep letting this kid get hit, it's not going to work out good for him mentally or physically. It's not working out well for him mentally. Every game that he's appeared in, in each game, his pass percentage drops and his interception total increases. He's gone from 73% to the 60s to the mid-50s to 49, and he's gone from zero picks to one to two to three. Mm. Now he looks like a true freshman because he's got no time and he's overthinking and he's got too much to worry about and he's only five ten a buck 65 soaking wet so in, in fairness he played pretty well in the first half and his stats don't look as good because jose barbon dropped a wide open yes. 80 yard touchdown yeah. so like his team's not doing him any favors for a true freshman do they need to during a bye week i mean they need to, need to do a lot of things but Regarding this this Dewan Mathis experiment, do they either need to really practice him up at wide receiver or do they need to just put this on the shelf? Because, again, it might sound like we're picking on him, but two plays in a row, there's that second down play and that one drive where they, again, I, when you look at turning points, you never know what's going to happen in the future. But second down, EJ throws in his direction, clear miscommunication there. He didn't turn around. Third down, it initially looks like a bit of a phantom uh, ineligible receiver call, but what happened there was Dewan Mathis lines up incorrectly covers up Jose Barbone. Jose gets gets called for being an eligible receiver, and it was a legit call. And um, that started that sequence where that that cost them a first down. And then on uh, on the sequence after that, the series after that, that's when there was the questionable pass interference call. Uh, call, excuse me, on Cam Ruiz. I don't I don't know what they truly have right now in some of the other receivers, like you know like a Malik Cooper, a Quezzy Evans, maybe they're just not good enough. And the staff is saying, Hey, there's enough there in Dewan where we think we can develop him. But is this something they kind of need to either shelf for the time being where it costs them there, or am I picking on Dewan Mathis too much? Both can be true. Yeah. Like, like you could be picking on Dewan Mathis too much and they just still need to shelf it. Like he's not going to be here in a year. Yeah. Like unless he's given indication that he's going to say, why, why are we wasting our time doing this? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I mean, but, like, again, not to pick too much on EJ, but, like, that also is a situation, a lot of what you just mentioned is a true freshman is probably put is probably expects to do too much there. If you mm-hmm. have a redshirt junior at quarterback, maybe he can determine that he – that Dwan Mathis is lined up incorrectly and that he can pre-snap fix that. So, like, it seems like there might be putting too much on EJ in that situation. Kaden, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's time that, you know, Temple kind of ends that experiment because kind of like Kyle said, what is the potential in, you know, having Mathis and learning a new position out there this year if he's going to transfer out most likely after the season anyway to get a different opportunity? And it's taking away valuable snaps, uh, especially from a young player like Ian Stewart, who, you know, Warner's already shown that he has a connection with two touchdowns. And obviously Ian Stewart has shown at times, you know, that he's not a perfect player, you know, for where he's at, but he's definitely shown some ability from the wide receiver position. And I don't get the the idea of just taking away snaps from him and other guys that maybe, you know, with more snaps, they would get better because they've been playing wide receiver for a longer period of time. So I think it's a head-scratching move where maybe the staff is just trying to force it to work because they really wanted DeWan to work out here at Temple. They really wanted him to work out at quarterback. It's not working, but I feel like it's better to cut it off and just keep, you know, just trying to hammer it out. And hopefully one day it works out because it's just going to. Here's where I beg to differ. Um... Stan Drayton has not held any favoritism or done any favors for any of the leftovers from Mm -hmm. the last coaching staff. Mm -hmm. Iris Clement, you might as well say he's gone. Keyshawn Paul hasn't played a snap. Like, there are a lot of guys from the previous regime. Oh, well, Stan doesn't care about them. DeWan is an athlete. He's shown on the field that he's got physical tools out there at receiver. My thing is, I can't feel sympathy for the rest of that receiver room if y'all let that guy come in and considering everything I just said, he's still getting snaps. Yeah. That, you clearly aren't playing well. You, are, you clearly aren't playing well enough in practice if he's able to steal your snaps come Saturday. It, it's that simple. So I'm not getting any sympathy out of them. Stan's got to put out his best guys on the field. And if DeWan's proven he's the third best option to put out there every week, then boom. I know Ian Stewart was a good story. Ooh, him and EJ got their first touchdown at the same time, whatever. But, like, what else has the kid contributed? And he's still got time left here. He'll have more than a few weeks. In fairness, Ian Stewart's played, like, six college games. So, like, 
Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like he'll, he'll he'll have more he'll have way right. more games to prove but, himself but and to, develop. To link credence to what you said, I mean Jose Barbon played all but one snap. Adonica Sanders played every single snap. Like clearly yeah. they are not getting out of that wide receiver room what they yeah. would have expected, which allowed which opens opportunity for somebody like Dewan. And hell, for all you know, they would have caught lightning in a bottle, and then it's like, okay, well, look at us, we're geniuses. Yeah. But now you have a bye week. Uh, is there an opportunity for somebody like Malik Cooper or Isaiah Baines or somebody like that to step up? Sure, but uh windows getting smaller and smaller yeah so anything obviously next thursday at ucf gonna be really tough are there i don't have any stats for the last time a team played on a wednesday and then played on a thursday the next week like maybe their internal <laughs> clocks will be completely screwed up like yeah. they're playing tonight um other than the navy game is there a winnable game left on on the schedule based off of what you saw again, we've talked about the fact that the American is not, is a little bit more of a toss up than it's been in, uh, in previous seasons, but um, based off of what you saw in terms of the, the struggles of the offensive line struggles with the running game. Again, we're not saying that the, the defense is perfect, but they played as about as well as you could in that first half. The scheme looks aggressive week by week. The players look like they're more comfortable in that scheme. I think a guy like even like Jalen Ware, I think is being used better and coached better. He just looks not to pat my own back, but I said during the offseason, I said, we're going to look back at one point. We're going to look back at the season and say, oh, Jalen Ware started seven games. Like you cannot get rid of him. He keeps finding a way into the lineup. Yeah, I did say that. And I, I was the one that. talking about how he's got physical tools, but his brain just isn't always Three there. Three straight the seasons but. now where we count Jalen Ware out and he just grabs a starting job. Yeah. But I mean, it looks like, it looks like he can blitz a little bit. Again, I, I think the defense, you, you look at the defense and, and, and what they've done. And, um, and you say that's about, you know, you can't be too critical of them considering the fact that they're rebuilding and retooling to the linebackers have obviously been good, but considering realistically what you can and can't do in the bye week and maybe kind of just taking a realistic look at, at what you have. Is there, again, like I said, I'll ask you guys beyond the Navy game, do you think there's a winnable game left on the schedule, or do you think they're kind of just really kind of stuck in like a two and ten type of uh, season here? There, there's a school like in South, there's a school in Tampa that still right. is not a good program. Yeah, no, Jeff Scott's beaten one FBS team in his three years at, at South Florida. Granted, that one FBS team is Temple, <laughs> but but like yeah, like USF's bad. Tulsa looked has looked okay at times, but like still a team from Oklahoma coming up to Philadelphia in late October. Like, I don't know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's still that same underbelly of the schedule that we've talked about. I think there's once you get past UCF, you have like a, not like a real bye week, but you have, you know, eight days before Tulsa because Tulsa's on a Friday. That's the opportunity for them to, to win a couple games. Uh, what's your favorite Friday night Temple home game been over the years? There have been a few. I don't even know if I can think of one. That was a tough question. Yeah, like I know I, I can't. I can assure you, at 33 years old, I don't retain things like that. Like I don't. Like I can tell you, like if it's a night game, probably I probably remember Did that. Memphis remember. on a Friday night several years ago. Maybe didn't they also play Syracuse on the Friday on Black Friday in like 2012? That was a that was that was a night game. I don't know if it. No, I think it was a day game. That was, was a day game. Friday, I, right? I remember that. You remember a 2012 Temple Syracuse game? <laughs> Listen, listen, Kyle, my Black Friday college football memory. I, I, it's a lot of random stuff I remember up in this brain, okay? I, it's, it's just a lot of minute details that I can remember from some stuff. I My memory of that is they were four and six, and I remember there being talk, and yes, they did play on Black Friday. If they had beaten Syracuse, then there was a chance of them adding on Hawaii to try to get the sixth win to get to know. eligibility. With Adazio, and, right? Yeah, with Adazio, and instead they got beat by Syracuse, and Adazio was gone a week later to Boston mm-hmm. College. So it was whatever. Yeah. Got some basketball to talk about. Some yeah, hoops. That's happier. Some hoops. Um, well, the other positive is Kobe Wilson played very well against Memphis. Yeah. Like, yeah. and he got his first start of the season over Jacob Hollins, who I guess is still dinged up, played very mm-hmm. well. Should probably have that job going forward. I mean, guy like, like Balansama Kamara. Making a lot of making a lot of tackles and seeing a lot of yeah. Lot of Sam Martin played a little at safety. Like they're getting some like younger guys in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Balancer Kamara has been playing like last couple of weeks. So like yeah. Tomlins so, hasn't been the healthiest. So Kamara's been filling in for him. Yeah. So to Javon's point of like they're not doing any favors and they're just playing the people that deserve to play. Like those are two guys in San Martin and Balance on Kamara that were not like they might be young, but they were not recruited by this current staff. And yeah. they're in their keep. Yeah. Uh as I mentioned, you're recording this on, on Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday evening. Uh yesterday on Tuesday. 
Aaron McKee, Damian Dunn, and Jaleel White were made available to reporters over at the Pearson McGonagall Hall uh, Temple Basketball Facility. Um, some interesting stuff, some good stuff to, to come out of that. Uh, the season's a little bit more than a month away. Uh, we've talked about how on paper this team looks like it could and should be pretty good, if not very good. And uh, um, I think there are a few reasonable sound bites to take away from this that caught people's ears. Um, you know, Javon, you asked, you asked Damian Dunn. I mean, you asked him flat out as a tournament or bust this year and, and uh, he didn't shy away from that. What were your takeaways from yesterday? Um, let's see. I got to keep my head calm around this because you've been around here way longer than me. You know how, uh, overly excited the people around here get after that first basketball media availability and it, it will drive you crazy if you're around people for too long um so i was very isolated after yesterday um anyways all the hype about jamil reynolds um it just continues dame called him a generational talent yeah. That's what really made me mad yesterday. Let me put this into context, because <laughs> if you listen to the scoop, you've heard the conversation that us three right here had in college basketball. If you're not a blue blood, you recruit the positions you are known for. Kyle, is Temple known for recruiting big men? At one point, they could recruit. At one point, points. but no, no, to your, to your point, not in the last 10 years, no. No, exactly. So when Dame Dunn calls Jamil Reynolds a generational talent, he means in Temple terms, he is a generational talent for Temple. Temple has not seen a big man like a Jamil Reynolds who's 6'10", 285, and can punish whoever he wants on the block with some footwork and, pull, and face up every now and then mm-hmm. in quite some time now. That's what he means, people. So let's not get overly excited but Jamil Reynolds the hype I'm starting to believe it because I'm hearing it from too many people um Kale Battle looks very locked in Zach Hicks got bigger Jalil White got healthier whole shebang let's play that, that let's play that clip of um of Damian Dunn talking about uh Jamil Reynolds I asked him about uh Jamil and here's what he said Jamil man we're really excited we're really excited about him in court but Jamil, he's, I feel like he's a generational talent. You know, we uh, see him do stuff every day in practice that I probably haven't seen a big guy do ever in my life. So uh, we just push him every day just to be in the best condition that he's that he can be in. I'm pushing him past those limits that we know that he can reach. And um, it's really up to Jamil about, about how far he wants to go. He has a talent, I feel like, to go wherever he wants to with this basketball. And I feel like it's really up to him. So we're really excited about those two guys for sure. But so if anything, hey, we, we've been talking about this, like Javon said, we've been talking about Jamil Reynolds. Um, and, you know, I think didn't didn't Jimmy, I think Jimmy talked about him on the scoop. Right. And he said on the record when we talked to Johnny Dawkins and the UCF staff, they said, if you can get him in shape, he's a future pro. And you think, OK, maybe that's the coach is just being overly optimistic about this guy. Obviously, conditioning, getting him in shape. Uh, has been a thing. He looks looks like he's dropped uh, a little bit of weight, um, but now the you know the at least one player or player around him, uh, a veteran player. If you call Damian Dunn a veteran player in this program, is it seem like a fifth year sophomore? He's twelfth year sophomore at this point. Fourth year yeah. sophomore, yeah, yeah. Um, he also said. Now Dame also said. I think there was also um, you know he called him a generational talent. There was also um, there was also that that line in there where he kind of basically said like, you know, it's um, you know it's up to him. You know, he, you know he says like he, he can you know his basketball he can t- his basketball can take him can take him a long way. And it's really up to him. So we're really excited about those guys. You know, so he's he kind of slipped in. It's really up to him. So I think there's that healthy amount of like we're going to keep pushing you. We're going to keep pushing you. So I think there's you know I think. I think the guys on this roster are cognizant of the fact like, okay, he went to UCF, didn't work out there, but that's true for a lot of transfers. But I think they all seem to have, or at least, at least Dame and, and the coaches seem to have like this, maybe a healthy level of understanding. Like if we keep pushing them, keep pushing them, there's potential there. Uh, obviously they just didn't have much to go to at all in the post last year. We know that things hmm. didn't work out with Jake Forrester, Emmanuel Akpomo has develop but but not much and i think akpomo is still going to be you know backing up these guys in the post but 
just for them to be able to get anything from Jamil or, you know, he's like Aaron described them and, and Dame described him as a little bit more of like a back to the basket guy, a little bit more Aaron called him like a more like a traditional, like plotting big man. And core is the guy that you can throw lobs to can be a little bit more athletic. How much of a difference does that make for this team this year? It helps because, and Aaron mentioned it yesterday, he doesn't have to play Nick Jordan at the five this year. Um, Love Nick, nice guy, gives his effort. But last season, you could see him, once he he started, like, really feeling that he was overmatched, he'd get emotional, there goes foul trouble, and Nick Jordan sitting for the rest of the game. So having Core and Jamil right there, and then you've still got no promo to turn to, that's wonderful news for Nick Jordan, which makes it wonderful news for the team. Mm-hmm. Well, not to run your parade, but Aaron also said that he thinks they're still going to play Nick Jordan at the five sometimes this year. Yeah, yeah, it just won't be as much, which is yeah, yeah, yeah. no, wonderful. for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, Nick Jordan was as just the latest name in ten years worth of Temple guys playing out of position to play center. Mm-hmm. Like they've done that for a decade now. So yeah, it helps that they added in two guys that seem like they're going to be plug and play guys and and Cora and him. But I, I'm still kind of a little more skeptical of it just because it's not like a Jamil situation where this guy came out of nowhere and you're like, oh, people are raving about him, all this stuff. Like, we've seen him play in this conference, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we, we saw him play two years at UCF in this conference. And, yes, his, like, per 40 numbers for his freshman year are, like, pretty good. Mm-hmm. But he lost minutes last year. Yeah. He gained weight to the point that, like, he needed to lose a lot of weight when he got here. Do I hope it works out? Yes, I absolutely hope it works out because I think that could be the missing piece between this team being 18 and 12 versus 23 and 10. Like, I don't know. So, like, I think they need that presence. I'm just still kind of taking that, like, little bit of skepticism until I actually see it. Yeah. Kyle, how do you feel about per 40 and per, and, and per 30? Oh, I hate it. Minutes that? You I hate it, too? I hate it, but I hate it, but it's also it worked out one time great for me. I have this memory of like 2007 when Zach Randolph finally got a starting job with the Trailblazers and like his per 40 just like directly stayed the same. And I was like, oh, look, he like he always projected to be a 20 and 10 guy. But no, most of the time it's like, oh, yeah, like he played nine minutes a game. Like his per 40 is going to be lopsided. Yeah, it's like people. He's playing nine minutes for right. a reason. Right. Mm-hmm. We did mention earlier that uh, that Javon asked Damian Don, "Yeah, is it, is it is it tournament or bust this year?" And he said, "Yeah, absolutely." And and here's that clip. We'll just play that clip for you of Damian Don setting that expectation for the Owls. Dame, is it tournament or bust this year? Uh, definitely. We uh, talk about it all the time. We feel like we're this is one of the best teams that we have since we've been here, and. Um, we come in and work like it every day. We talk about it every day in the locker room. Like, if we don't get to the tournament, you know, all our work is wasted. And um, that's just, the, I wouldn't even call it pressure that we put on each other. It's just like expectations, goals that, we're, that we've been setting. And if we are in constant pursuit of those goals every day, I feel like we'll be able to get the job done. And let's, I mean, let's throw around the way too early question here, but um, could this be a tournament team? Should sure. it be a tournament team? Uh, should it be in like, do I think it's going to happen or should it be in like people need to be held accountable to that expectation? What's the question? I'm with you on the latter one. The latter, the latter one. Yes. Like, I think like you're in year four of the Aaron McKee era. It's completely his team. You've recruited to the level that he wants to recruit to. They, they saying they have the, the most talented team they've had in God knows how many years. It should be a tournament team in the sense that if they don't make the tournament then there needs to be accountability. I'm not saying Aaron needs to get, fired or anything ridiculous like that but like there needs to be probably like changes somewhere because the process the process that they've gone through over the last three years has set themselves up for this to be their make or break year Mm -hmm. is it a tournament team i think it has a good chance i don't i wouldn't bet my mortgage on it but i think it has a good chance of all of a sudden like them making noise finishing second or third in the conference the issue is that the americans been a too big conference for the last two years right Mm -hmm. so Am I going to sit here right now with still with the big 12 teams in the conference and say I'm 100% positive that Temple's going to be a top two team? No, but I think they have a chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I second Kyle's emotion. I think the only thing I'll add to that. Would you say I second that emotion? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Um, yeah, there you go. You picked up on it. Um, the only thing I'll add to that is I do expect SMU and Memphis to be worse this year, especially SMU losing Kendrick Davis. Mm-hmm. Memphis added Kendrick Davis, but like the rest of their pieces, this isn't the best 
Penny Hardaway recruiting class. Um, I think Wes Miller's Bearcats will be better this year. Ron Hunter's Tulane team will be better. I like. I think Temple clearly has a top four roster in the American, along with those two teams in Houston. Um, and it's just like Kyle said. Will they be able to do what they're supposed to do? Will the American be viewed as strong enough for enough bids? Will Temple's non-conference schedule be good enough is the real thing. Like, I think the tournament, and you'll hear a lot of it Monday morning on whoever's talk show if they choose to talk about it, and Rothstein will probably have a tweet up that night or Saturday morning. The Villanova game being the second game of the season is probably going to be the most important game number two of a college basketball season that we've seen in a while because that will be the measuring stick is it fair because it's that early no but it also is fair because it's that early because Villanova new coach recruiting class decent but it's early you can catch them on their heels Temple wants to show some signs that they can be that team that's going to play in March Villanova Friday November 11th at the Leah Chorus Center big deal yeah, I yeah, see. I think, I think that's a, a great point. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that Temple hasn't had in the past couple of years, and they used they had it a lot under Dumphy, was that early season win that just looks better later in the season. Mm-hmm. Like they used to get that with like Georgetown. Like they go, oh, you go beat Georgetown or Maryland down in DC, and then all of a sudden that just looks better later in the year. And the same like this. I'm sorry. Tennessee, Kansas. Yeah, right. So like they haven't had one of those in a while. So now they have an opportunity, whether it's Nova is the big marquee one. You're like everything Javon just said, your new coaching staff, they're still filling out each other. Can you get them early and then hope that they after that you become the biggest Villanova fan in the world where you hope that they win 25 games, but one of their losses was to Temple or even Rutgers at like a neutral site. Like they have opportunities for games like that. They St. John's. Right. So if, if you're looking, if it's all of a sudden like December 30th and they're like seven and four and they didn't win any of those games, they just won like the gimme games, then congrats. You have to win the conference to make the tournament. Like that's the only way. Like we'll know in two months, two and a half months, if they have a shot at a at an at-large. Yeah. Then um, the Empire Classic and what's that? The, what, whatever it is that they go up to Mohegan Sun the for. Basketball for Hall of Fame Showcase. Yeah. The Hall of Fame Showcase and the Empire Classic cannot be what Charleston was last year. It, it cannot, or else need, season's to, done. You need to beat that St. John's team so you're on the right side of that bracket. Yeah. And then, like, you're in, like, the championship game, and you have a chance at another notch in your belt. Otherwise, it's, yeah, you're going to play, like, Richmond, and who cares? Yeah, you just got to be a St. John's team that should make the tournament this year. Definitely will be a top four, top five team in the Big East. Essentially playing a home game, yeah. Mm-hmm. Another guy who could obviously be a, a real X factor on the team this year was an X factor – Last season, uh, as Jaleel White, uh, again, you look at him, he looks like a legit 6'8". I think Dame said he looks like – what did he say yesterday? He's like, you look at him, he looks like an action figure. Yeah. Uh, he's in great shape. Uh, Javon, I think he told you that his his shoulder feels better. It still has its moments. But um, how how good, Javon, can he be this year? Obviously, if he develops any more semblance of a jumper, that that gives his, his game another step up. But what are you expecting from him this season? His shoulder's healthier, he's stronger, he's got more confidence. Everything I've heard from multiple different people around here is open runs over the summer. It was dunk the ball and shoot the three. Like, that's what he worked on. Um, And then you hear yesterday that now, because Jalil White's built like an ox. Like, that's a sturdy guy right there. Now he's working on posting up. So I'm working yesterday, two dribbles, shoulder into your chest, and rise up to dunk it. Like So with a strong frame like that, he's going to be playing some point forward, diversifying his catalog. Uh, I mean, Jaleel White can be maybe not this year, but definitely next year, a second-team all-conference type of player. Like he's just got that much potential to him, um, but he's definitely going to be a key factor. I think I think you start him this year because uh, I think Hasir Miller having to step into that main facilitator role might take a little longer didn't expect it, so why not let Hysir still be the sixth man and get acclimated for another year and let Jalil just go back and forth with, you know, Dame and KB in the starting lineup uh, with whoever the next two guys are going to be. So I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think that's like a, a good idea, but from everything you're hearing, it seems like they're going to have Hysir the first. Yeah. Yeah, that starting point mm-hmm. guard job. Like I, like, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think with, like, him and Dunn, 
and even battle to an extent in time, like you would have enough ball handlers in that lineup to be fine. Right. Um, but like, it feels like they're going to go with more of a traditional like point guard. Hey, we do, we do have, and we'll get to in a couple minutes in the mailbag. We do have a, a mailbag question about that and early prediction on starting five. Um, one guy who knows Jaleel White very well is Tosh Sweet from Wildwood Catholic. They played at Wildwood Catholic together. Temple was recruiting both players when they were at Wildwood Catholic. By now, you know, the Taj ended up at West Virginia for a couple seasons, spent the spring semester at Coastal Carolina, hits the portal again, ends up at Temple. I asked Aaron yesterday if he's going to play this year or if he's going to redshirt. Aaron said there are a couple of things that they still have to work out. Just a reminder, too, if you're an alscoop.com subscriber, you can hear Aaron's entire interview, Damian Dunn's entire interview, and then tomorrow, along with this podcast, you'll hear uh, the entire interview from Jaleel White, along with some excerpts of that conversation. But uh, Jaleel, I I asked him about Taj and and what Temple fans can expect from him, what he's seen so far, and here's what he had to say about his friend Taj Tweet. Uh, That feeling is great, honestly. Uh, Taj started playing basketball in seventh grade, so and I was there when he first started playing. So just to have him back around, uh, to cheer him on, see him get better is great. Did you guys talk about doing that? out of high school both coming here uh we talked about it but like not as much as we should have like it was kind of like a third option type thing but once he hit the portal again it was like one of like my main priorities his main priorities to get him here so when he when he did hit the portal did he reach out to you did you reach out or is this thing where you guys just talk constantly and it's just something that's going to come up well me and Todd talk every day and it's kind of like we manifested it honestly like i always felt like he was going to end up playing with me in college so what have you seen from him so far i mean he's Last year, he's been through a lot. He's been through a couple of places. He had this stand coast when he's here. What have you seen from him? I mean, you know, I know you know him, but on the basketball court, getting acclimated here, what have you seen from him so far? Uh, well, one thing you're always going to see out of Taj is his energy, his effort, his defense. That's one thing that's going to come with him for sure everywhere he goes. But he's developed a jump shot, more handle. He's a much smarter player now. So that's some new thing I saw. And before we get to the to uh, the mailbag, just wanted to acknowledge that among the, the several people that are being inducted into Temple's Athletics Hall of Fame, a couple of Temple basketball people here, uh, David Hawkins, obviously a big part of the last Temple team to to, to make a, a deep run in the NCAA tournament in 2001, David Hawkins, and then Essie Davis, who was the assistant to so many Temple coaches over the years. She was, Miss Davis was incredible, really, really cool. Uh, to see her getting inducted. So I just want to acknowledge them. We do have three mailbag questions. And th- th- this first Wayne Marshall, one, who was the all-time leading receiver until Ventel beat him. I thought you said Wayne Marshall for a second. I was like, Willie Marshall. I, yeah, Willie Marshall. Big difference. Um, uh, yeah, does, along with, let, let's go back to what we were talking about just a couple seconds ago. First mailbag question here. What's your prediction on a starting five? Also, who is the backup point guard and first player off the bench? I think it's going to be Fabe, Dunn, Battle, Jaleel. I'll say Reynolds, but that's kind of interchangeable. And I think Hicks is your like 30 minutes a game off the bench guy. Um, Since Kyle pretty much has mine of what I think it will be, I can go off of what I think it should be. I'll say Dunn, Battle, Hicks, and White. It doesn't matter which one is the three or the four. Just put them out there with Reynolds um, and then Miller and Dazoni pretty much just take over the bench for themselves. Let me ask this. So let's say Fabe starts and let's say, you know, obviously don't wish this knock on wood. Something happens to Fabe and he's out for 10 games. Who is, is that primary point guard? Is that a Shane Dazoni coming off the bench and you just plug him in or do they completely Damn. shift things and it becomes Dame or Jaleel or something like that? Cause last year, a lot of the talk was that Jaleel, what they were training Jaleel basically to the backup mm-hmm. point guard. And then I mean, Fabe came along. Yeah, I think it's. I think it would be Dame and Jaleel kind of like. Yeah, I think Dame, Jaleel, and Fabe are the only three point guard options. I think Dazoni, no, I mean, like you got to let him be a two and go crazy. Sure, yeah. but I think I think there's some cross training going on with Dazoni from hmm. from what you're hearing. So like, yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I think it's quote unquote like a good problem to have if you think there's enough of those guys that are talented yeah. enough to like push for those starting jobs because there's probably like seven guys that you could say like these they should be starting they would start in a lot of the teams yeah. in this conference right you know, I, I think that's a great point i think last year at this point when we get these mailbag questions like what's your early prediction on starting five i think last last year at this point we were kind of like trying to i don't want to say like piece things together where it was like destitute but now this year you you even just hearing you guys talk it's like oh wow like yeah it like there's a there's a there's a reason there's a, a real reason why you could say like you need Zach Hicks should start. You need to like he could be a big difference in like 
hitting three threes to start the game and you want him in there, or there's a reason why you could bring him off the bench. There's a reason to, to start Heiser Miller. There's a reason why you could bring him off the bench. I, I do think it's a pleasant problem to have. I, I think they'll start Fabe, but there's also, yeah, I mean, I could see them going Jaleel, Dame, Caliph, Zach. I think Core John could starts and Jamil Reynolds comes off the bench. It's just a, a gut feel type of thing. For the first couple games, yeah. Lock yeah. gets in shape. Yeah. Um, but yeah, good, a, a pleasant problem to have. And then you have, you know, where do Shane Dizoni's minutes come in? Where do Nick Jordan's minutes come in? I think, you know, like I think uh, Emmanuel Cuomo plays sparingly. Uh, Deuce Roberts plays sparingly, although I've you heard. You think Deuce like, plays? Uh, I think he could play a little bit here and there. You know, when I asked around on this, you know, when John Rothstein sent out his tweet and <clears throat> hyped him up, and I asked a couple of people, you know, familiar with what's going on, they said he has his moments. He has his moments where he does look really good, and he has his moments where he looks a little lost, like kind of similar to what Aaron said yesterday. Yeah. He said, you know, I told him if he, and I'm paraphrasing here, if you don't don't quite get it, make up make up for it with effort like Zach did, like Fabe did. But like, if he's comparing them, not like he said, I think he's the next, I see Miller. I think he's the next Zach Hicks or anything like that. But the fact that he kind of mentioned it in that similar vein, I mean, I, I think they have a chance to be a really, uh, a really deep team when you think about it. Uh, a couple more messages. I won't put a pin on that real quick is, yeah. or, sorry, looking into that is, I think every, you just listed a lot of reasons why Taj Sweet should redshirt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I mean, I where's think- your role on this team? Well, in fairness, like, it's a long season, right? You look back at last year and like they started five guys that by the end of the year, they were starting two of them, some by injury, some by getting benched. So like a lot can change, but like I right now think like Taj just like get everything right ac- academically sit out the year. Mm-hmm. I think he's got to figure out who he is as a basketball player too. Sure. Cause he's, he's got a threes body, but he plays more of the four. If I remember hearing that correctly. So yeah. like he's got to figure that out too. When he was in high school, he never had like what you would call terrible form on his jump shot. Like sometimes I think maybe I've done this, like you think based on his size and build, he maybe reminds you of like a, like a really Hollis Jefferson type of player. I think he has better form on his jumper than really did really didn't really step out and hit threes. Jaleel said yesterday, and you know, that clip that you just heard that, that his shots coming along I would redshirt Taj. I just think that I think the kid's been through a lot in the past few years. I think that, that, you know, knowing his situation a little bit um, yet. And we heard about this a couple of years ago. It's like, well, Taj is getting the, 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 the more, more high major offers. He's a little bit more athletic than Jaleel, but Jaleel might, might turn out to be the better long-term player so far. That's how it's played out. I think Taj wanted to, or needed to get out of the area. goes, goes to West Virginia, just ne- things never came together for him there. He goes to to Coastal Carolina for a semester, then comes to Temple. I, I think he probably might need a year just to continue to practice with the team, feel at home. And, you know, like why push him to play this year if he's indeed eligible to play when you're going to get spot minutes here and there. And, yes, he's an energy guy. Yes, he can he can defend. He can crash the glass. But – really allow him to, to to settle in for a year and he could have, depending on what happens with the roster, a much better role or much bigger role uh, next year. Um, two more mailbag questions to get to. We'll end with Varun Kumar's question. This will make, uh, make Kyle happy. It's some, some baseball talk. I, we did ask for some off topic stuff. Uh, the, the second last one here, the screen name is GLMPA. Last year's standpoint of emphasis was defense rebounding and an improvement in transition. Do you see the Owls continuing to improve upon that? My short answer is yes. I'll, I'll, you know, tip it over to you guys. Yes, that's just Aaron's pillars of coaching. Yeah. Not much explanation goes into it. Oh, and the right. better pieces and more experienced pieces to do it, too. Sure, it'd be yeah. one thing if they brought in somebody that was just, like, so, like, out of left field that, like, you can't plug him into that. But, yeah, that's just how he wants to run his program. So, like, that's what you should expect every year until proven otherwise. I think – but, again, I think they, you know, another year of fave, another year of, of – Jaleel, yeah, we, I, you know, I, I think I mentioned this. I was, when I was, I was, I think I, I don't think it was on the scoop. I was texting with Ari Rosenfeld, and I said, you know, when they, when they, uh, when, um, when Jeremiah Williams at the portal, I said, yeah, they're losing a maybe arguably their best perimeter defender, and he said, I'm, I'm sorry, did, did, <laughs> did something happen to Jaleel White? You know, I mean, Jaleel's good defensively. Like I think even, um, 
I think I might have asked, uh, I think I was asking Dean about this yesterday. No, maybe I was asking Jaleel. It was only a day ago. I should remember this, but I said, can you, I think it was Jaleel. I said, can you take more chances on the perimeter defensively, knowing that you have a pretty athletic guy like Core behind you? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. That, that, that makes a difference. You know, Jake Forrester wasn't always in the right spot on the floor when they, when they needed him to be. And even if he wasn't getting things going offensively, he could have given them more defensive and rebounding help and he wasn't so I do think they have the pieces to make progress in all those areas well what has you confused is Jalil said he can take more chances then somebody asked him it might have been you who the second best defender is now that Jeremiah is gone and like out of left field he said Damian Dunn mm-hmm. I don't think it was me I don't think I asked that question who is the second best defender on the team Jalil says done. I'm just let him have it. I'm not, I'm not. He's he's in practice with the guys every day. I'm not going to argue with him. I wonder if yeah. I, hear, I wonder if Abe becomes that guy and like makes up for like his height deficiency by just oh just be like a Kyle yeah. Lowry bulldog type. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why fast forward a year from now, even if the roster stays the same, there's probably a role for Zion Stanford right off the bat. Is like they need more defenders still in this team. Yeah. Like they're yeah. team defending pretty well. I'm assuming they're going to team defend pretty well, but just like one on one after Jaleel, I have some concerns. Yeah. Fortunately, basketball is not always a one on one game. Yeah. <laughs> some play. Some say it's five and five. <laughs> Final mailbag question from our friend and occasional Alscoop.com contributor, and was, of course part of our, our fancy draft room, Kumar. Prediction on the Phillies. I'm going to go. Let's have some fun with this. I say they get hot. I say they they get some timely hitting Friday. They beat the Cardinals, and then they just get absolutely embarrassed by Kyle's Atlanta Braves. That's what I think is going to happen. Yeah, I think something similar. Um, I, if for anybody that reads the Inquirer, I think Dave Murphy had a column yesterday about, which I don't agree with at all, where basically said that, like, oh, Wheeler and Nola, I'll give you a chance to win it all because they're so good. Guess what? Every single team in the playoffs has two pitchers as good as Zach Wheeler yeah. and Aaron Nola. Like, I don't want to sound condescending. I know I'm going to sound condescending. Playoff baseball is just like, I know, like, the Phillies are really good for a small stretch. It's been so long that I think people sometimes forget about, like, what playoff baseball is. It's starting pitching and it's home runs. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. And, like, Aaron Nola had a, like, a a pretty good year. He had a really bad last couple years. Like, he's he's hot or cold. You have no idea what he's going to be like in the playoffs. Zach Wheeler, you have no idea what he's going to be like in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Bryce Harper is a shell of himself in the last 60 games. Like, yeah. he's been bad since he yeah. came back. Like, he came back because he wanted to come back, and it's they're better when he's in the lineup. But he's not 40 homer Bryce Harper. Your biggest power threat, you're batting leadoff in Kyle Schwarber, which I get is, like, the end thing that baseball does now. But, like, he's probably not hitting any three-run homers in this series. I agree. I think they probably do beat the Cardinals. I think it's that's a good matchup for them. I think the Cardinals probably overachieved a lot just because of the fact that, like, they're trying to send Wainwright, Pujol, send Yadier Molina, who's my least favorite player of all time, not named Jeff McNeil, out the window on the right thing. So, like, I get that. But, like, I think eventually that probably comes down. I think they probably beat the Cardinals. I think the Braves have had, are going to have that point have had a week to get healthy. Spencer Strider comes back healthy. They reset the rotation. I think they just stomp the Phillies. Y'all are going to leave me to sound like a Philly hater. Kyle, I thought you were going to help me out. Um I've got no emotion at all towards the Phillies. So I promise you, this does not come from a place of just trying to antagonize the Philly fans. I, I I just think St. Louis has too much going for them as far as like they're they're too riled up emotionally, is is where I'm at with it. Like they want to send Wayne all machine and Yachty off the right way. And I mean the the combo of Goldie and Arnado. I can't bet against that in a wild card series. I just can't. I'm, and you got guys like Tommy Edmond and Dylan Carlson who play their roles fantastically. Yeah, the issue is 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 Goldie and Arenado are outside of Pujols are their only hitters. Like the yeah. like it's all just like the thing that helps the Braves is they're so deep, right? The Cardinals don't have that in their lineup, and their pitching is kind of subpar this year, like compared to years in the past. Like I don't, know, I legitimately don't know who they're going to start game one. Are they starting? Wainwright just because the experience. They're starting Jose Quintana because of how good he's been. Like or Montgomery. Yeah, Montgomery. Like, I don't know. But like real quick, Cardinals fans are like the worst best fans. Mm-hmm. Like people view like Cardinals fans in St. Louis, like, oh, they're such like diehards, they're great. They're it's a trash fan base. So like I hope <laughs> the Phillies beat them just because like I'm not the I don't like St. Louis Cardinals, but 
that would also set up my life will be worse if the Braves play the Phillies. Scooby, like objectively, my life will be worse. I will, my wife will be against me. I'll be getting text messages from like when the Braves played the Phillies in September and they stomped them on that Friday. I got so many text messages about baseball from people that I haven't talked to about baseball in a year. So like, <laughs> where were you when the Braves were sweeping you back then? Like, and then getting the Braves win the last two of the series and it's a non-issue. So like, I, I love playoff Cam baseball. Newman. Playoff baseball is so stressful when your yes, team's it in it. Like like October last year was one of the best months and one of the worst months of my life because yeah. it's just like six nights a week. You're just like, oh my god, this is so stressful. You you nailed it. It is about it's about pitching and home runs. Like that one home run can just completely like like take the. I mean, uh, 2011 Phillies. I mean, like I mean, you could pick any team. Like that early home run just takes the takes the air out of a stadium. Jorge Soler last year against the Astros hits a three-run jack in the bottom of the first. And that was it. And it was over. Like, that's the entire game. Yeah. And, like, the Astros was like, all right, we tried. And then just went through it. So, like, yeah, love playoff baseball. I'm really excited that the Phillies are in it. Good for them. Uh, I don't think it's – I think they'll make the NLDS. It's also also horse shit with this new – so, like, you made – your wild card team, you made the playoff, and you don't get a single home game. It's very dumb. Yeah, it's so weird. Next week on the scoop, Claire Smith, Todd Zalecki, and Ken Rosenthal. We'll just exclusively talk baseball. Yeah, and I'll just oh oh oh, and we got to get Buster Olney on too, so he yeah. can admit that the Orioles will be a wild card team in 2023. Yeah. Not to make this baseball talk, but could not be happier the Mets collapsed, even if it wasn't for the Braves. Just I feel like every like kind of like swarmier media member just happens to cover the Mets, and like they were all hyping them up in June, July, whatever. And guess what? You blew a ten and a half game lead. That's the number it's going to get. It. You also blew a seven game lead in August. When my daughter was born, baseball reference and fan graphs had the Bretts at the Bretts. The Braves had an 8% chance to win the division. Look at look where we're at. Talk you talk, Kyle. Very happy. Uh, Kyle has uh alienated our, our scoop fan bases in the greater St. Louis and New York, North Jersey regions. I just don't understand what where how they got the reputation for being like the best fans of baseball. Scott Rowland once called it baseball heaven. I don't know who the best fans of baseball are necessarily, but it's not the Cardinals. Shout out Buckshow Walter, Tommy Hunter, and Wayne Kirby. It's people like Javon that have just been like dished out crap for like 20 years with a baseball and are still just like eating it up. Those are the best fans of baseball. <laughs> I appreciate that, Kyle. I appreciate <laughs> uh, well, thank you all for sticking with us for another episode of The Scoop. We'll have more football talk and more basketball talk for you next week. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.